0: You're listening to A Book with Legs, a podcast presented by Smead Capital Management. At Smead Capital Management, we advise investors who fear stock market failure. You can learn more at SmeadCap.com or by calling your financial advisor.
1: We have some bonus content from our discussion with Chris Yogurst on his book, The Warner Brothers. We're going to call this episode 222.2. And like the four of a kind the episode has, uh, I think we're gonna have quite a bit of fun today. We're going to be having Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Saslav join us for this discussion. Joining me to host that alongside is my father, Bill Smead, our chairman and chief investment officer here at Smead Capital Management. To give our listeners a little background on David, um, David originally joined NBC in 1989, where he was the president of cable and domestic TV and new media distribution. He then joined Discovery in 2006, He became the CEO there. Um, He developed brands like the Oprah Winfrey Network, Investigation Discovery, and eventually took over Scripps Network Interactive in 2018, uh, which our listeners probably would note that we were shareholders of Scripps at the time. Fast forward, David became the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery. So we're very excited for our discussion with David as we talk and think about the legacy of the Warner Brothers. David, thanks for joining us today.
2: Nice to be with you guys.
1: So uh, to kick us off, David, uh, the Warner Brothers were refugee Polish Jews. Um, Their success was not foreknown, though everyone knows the name today. Uh, How how do you look at the story, this American tale of, you know, really this family led by mom and dad, but the brothers um, as this beautiful American story?
2: Well, it's an extraordinary success story, but uh, the, the big piece of the story is shared by millions of Jews that, that left Eastern Europe. My family was not that many miles away from uh, where the Warner Brothers family was from. And uh, they came, my family came through Ellis Island and, uh, with, mm-hmm. with nothing and ended up in, in Brooklyn. And my grandfather sold plumbing supplies in, out of a wheelbarrow and s- saved up to own his own plumbing supply store. Uh, Zaslav and Sons and my um, my dad's brother ended up in that business, and they ended up in Ohio, the Warner Brothers, and they had a, a general store. Uh, and so, th- at, you know, at that point, it's basically the American story. What's extraordinary mm-hmm. about that story is that they went to Hollywood and yeah. the impact that they had and and what they accomplished against odds really is a, a great American story of an immigrant family and the impact that they had on America and our culture.
0: Agree. Yeah. Harry uh, was kind of the heart and soul of Warner Brothers. Uh, I personally became a huge fan of his through this book. What do you, what do you think about his distinct legacy today?
2: Look, I think, you know, one of the sad things that there's a lot of great drama, this great accomplishment within this story of the Warner Brothers, but you know, the father's mantra was, Stay together, stronger together, and you know the. It's also a great American story in that it's not. It's imperfect, and the one of the brothers ended up dying young from uh, Mm -hmm. from influenza, and Harry, and Jack and Sam fell apart in a way that was not acrimonious. So in the end, the family was broken. And so the, the, the one thing coming to America, that theme of stronger together. And I think he probably felt that way because they had different skills. Um, sure. And, you know, Harry really was passionate about storytelling and content. And he was behind this idea together with Sam, who was the technology, the driver behind yeah. Vitaphone. He was the real technology player that and he and Harry together saw in the late 20s that the future was not going to be a silent film. And they risked the whole company uh, and barred against this idea of investing in Vitaphone and and it changed, you know, it changed the business and they really, they were able to get real advantage out of that in being the earliest with the best technology to the talkies. Uh, and, you know, Harry was the older brother and, you know, for many years he drove the narrative of, of, of the core of the Warner Brothers values, which is it, it, the success of the company was going to be driven by great storytelling and talent and making mm-hmm. Warner Brothers a place where talent wanted to be and telling stories that made a difference, not just stories that were popular, but telling stories that made yeah. a difference.
0: And you can kind of contrast that with Jack, who what we learn from the book is that he's, he was quite a good... Producer and uh, had a great knack for, you know, finding good stories. But then, his personal life kind of helped tear the brothers apart to a certain extent.
2: But you know, it it it's hard to go back in time and and give credit or discredit. In the end, sure, sure. If you look at the '30s, uh, the Warner Brothers were doing over a hundred films a year, and at mm-hmm. that time, there was no television. Uh, and the only thing that were in the homes were was radio, and there wasn't. People didn't travel the way they did today, and so when you think about what was America like in the '30s, if you were on a farm in in uh, in, in in the South, or if you were on a ranch out west, uh, or if you were in New York City, there's so much that you didn't see. And so what what those films did, they you got to see what does New York look like. What do people dress like on a farm? What does California look like? What about Paris? Who wears the black hat and white hat? How do I get dressed for a date? In sure. many ways, the Warner Brothers played an important role in the 30s. It was the only place you got to see what does this world look like? And how do sure. we, how do we, they defined in many ways what it was to be an American. Uh, they helped define for all of us the, the values of this country. Um, Not just the Warner Brothers, but together, Hollywood did that. And so people went on Saturdays and Sundays and Friday nights to see double features. And this idea of coming together, of community, the lights go out and there's the big screen. And, you know, this is something that I believe in for today that we need desperately is community. And when those lights go out, you know, it's very primitive. You know, this idea of tell me a story you know thousands of years ago we were doing that on the campfire the lights go out you're with people in your neighborhood your friends and and afterward you're having a pizza or having a beer and it, could sh- it it affects the way you see yourself it affects the way that you see the world and you know throughout the 30s they really pushed the envelope with confessions of a nazi spy that was a very bold uh, movie And Harry had a lot to do with that because he had been abroad yeah. and he had seen what was going on in Germany. And there was actually, um, it wasn't eff- effectively government regulated, but the studios had agreed to be guided by a series of principles of what they would show and would not show. And it's hard to believe this, but back at that time, distribution in Europe had just begun and was a significant revenue uh, driver for the business and multiple countries in Europe would talk about that would play into the guidelines of what was acceptable and unacceptable. And the designee within Germany was Goebbels. And so any content that would reflect badly on on the, the Nazi party was against guideline. And it took a lot of courage for for the Warner Brothers to do that movie. And it was quite controversial at the time. I think that there was even in the Midwest, there was a, a, a theater that was burned down and people died. So they recognized that content is powerful and that it affects real narrative and how people feel about issues and see issues. You know, and they understood the responsibility of their studio in, in having an impact on, on this country.
1: When, so let's let's talk about that because you know Casablanca is one of the greatest movies of all time. Probably you know uh, could be thrown up as the greatest studio movie for its what it brought. Um, you know The American Cafe is iconic. Bogart's character was this wheeling dealing American businessman who liked making money on effectively a carry trade of having people trying to get out of Europe, but at the same time. He ultimately sacrificed for others. And I, you know, I think of like the Maltese Falcon touched on the same idea of like, do the right thing. Um, those are great movies. Those are great American movies. They fulfill all the, all the uh, things you just said. Well, the so Maltese H- you- Falcon has,
2: you know, in- incorporates, you know, when we when we finished our deal with uh, uh, with Time Warner with from at and you know, I think this designation of of the name Warner Brothers Discovery because Warner Brothers stands for you know, we're a great, we're a storytelling company. That's all we really are. And exactly. Great talent yeah. and great stories. And they understood that. And our tagline is the stuff that dreams are made of, um, you know, from uh, the Maltese Falcon. But the, these, these films had a big impact. You know, Casablanca was not just a great film. It was a film about immigration and people being displaced and having nowhere to go sure what that feels like you know if you look back after world war ii the majority of film not just by warner brothers but by the studios more than 50 percent of the films was about healing america what happened over there and how do we get back how do we heal Uh, And we we, we we, think think there's there's hundreds of movies, you know, that were just on that simple basis of the uh, the the idea that we've been through something terrible. How do we make sense of that?
0: We we think of Gran Torino, where the. Basically, Clint Eastwood played my mother's father. He was that grumpy eighty-something-year-old guy. All honor to Clint Eastwood as that storyteller. Isn't that the type of storytelling, the legacy of Harry Warner, that can be seen in in the last ten to fifteen years? Is, isn't it being honest, instructive society about what is right and
2: wrong? You know, uh, Clint's about to make his fiftieth movie for Warner Brothers.
0: <laughs> uh, so it's, you know, uh, an
2: extraordinary uh, really extraordinary uh, the, the, the legacy of Clint Eastwood uh, he's important to the history of Warner Brothers in that sense okay. uh, Gran Torino is, is a fantastic film uh, the scene for me not only did, did he sacrifice himself for those that in the beginning of the film you would think you know he hated these people yeah. um, but, but he was a tough guy but in the end, he had core American values. And, you know, one of the scenes in that movie that, that meant a lot to me watching was, uh, you know, he was he began to mentor uh, this young uh, man, this uh, young... The barbershop. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> he, yeah he, start, he started to mentor him. And they started out as enemies because he had stolen. But he started to mentor him. And there was so much distrust among people based on, you know, ethnicity or ba- based on age or, you know, it was just a complete distrust of others. Um, and you saw that bearing down a little bit as the film went on. But there was a moment where we didn't know who, who this young man was. And across the street, a woman who, who he'd never met, who, you know, who, who he didn't know, she was walking with her groceries and the bag broke. And he crossed the street and picked everything up for her and walked into her house. It was, it's a simple thing, but it was an act of kindness. And it was powerful. It's one of the most powerful things for us as human beings to see that. You know, when no one's looking, uh, when you have nothing to, to gain, it's just an act of kindness. You know, in everyday life, when we see it, it still is very powerful.
1: When that touches on a theme, David, yeah, that... Yeah, movies bring a sense yeah, of community. Yeah, the sense of community that you touched on earlier. And Barbie, Barbie did
0: this through making things fun and making fun of many things. But I view it as uh, she made kind of a, a, a Mel Brooks-style comedy. And, and uh, she made fun of women. She made fun of men. This balance is something everyone can laugh at. How important uh, is making movies? And, and it, hasn't that movie done more to gather people in community?
2: Well, Barbie is the most successful movie in the history of Warner Brothers, which is exciting for us. But it comes at the right time. And it shows the power of the motion picture. Everywhere people didn't just go to Barbie. They went to the store and they bought shirts, pants, socks in pink, hats. You saw we did a number of tie-ins with retailers, but if you walk down Main Street, on any street in America or any city in the world, every retailer went back into their inventory and they put everything they had that was pink out front. And people bought it. It was a shared experience. And people won't just remember that they went to the movies. They'll remember whether it was with their mom or, the, or their daughter or their friend or their, or their significant other. And many people went multiple times. They went for a reason, which is that... It 's a tough time in America and around the world. you know it, you go to europe it 's almost fifteen years of no GDP growth. The last time that happened was in the '20s and 30s um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the there's a lot of challenge and struggle around the world maybe you know more than I've seen and you know in in really in most of my life we had we were so prosperous in in the 80s and 90s so there's a lot of challenge and with all the disruption and the technology revolution how do we what do we make of all this different jobs the jobs that we're doing aren't necessarily the jobs we would train for or they're not as good as the jobs we had so it's just a difficult time and this was a welcome escape. It was fun. The thing about Barbie, it was just pure, joyful fun. You know, agree, e- agree. our CFO, Gunnar, was in Germany and he passed a line of people all in pink, holding hands and laughing. It was a great escape. And it's sort of what we needed, but it also, the whole world, everywhere in the world, it was pink. And it, there's nothing that can do that. Uh, you know, other than the mo- than a motion picture, a shared community experience, a pink blanket around the world. It was a very it was a very important moment, I think, and and a great moment for Warner Brothers Discovery.
1: I think the Petri dish for that, David, is going to be Halloween this year. I think the Ken cowboy outfit is pretty much sold out of every online auction and and. And, uh, you know, costume house out there, but I, I, I kind of, we look at that as that will give the reflection of America. And I think that was another theme we drew out of the story of Warner brothers is sometimes people criticize the theaters and say, Oh, you know, look what they're bringing to our culture. When in reality, it's a mirror. That's what movies tend to be. Is they're a mirror
2: of our culture?
1: And, and I think that's or something that they help that, us
2: understand. Know. They help us understand who we are. Correct. And, yeah. and they can, and they can change in many ways you know, the way we see ourselves or what we want to do, you know, all the president's men. After all the president's men, applications to journalism schools went up 20 or 25 percent for a decade. People saw that and said, that's what I want to be. That's who I want to be. And, you know, that's the impact. If you think about, you know, in 1960, Otto Preminger did Exodus. It was the Leon Uris book uh, by the same name. Mm -hmm. And, a whole generation when they think about Israel they think about Paul Newman coming out of the ocean and they think about the Haganah and the Urgun and they think about a nation that was built you know, with, with, with the promise of a democracy you know, in the Middle East with yeah. all that sense of hope it's never perfect but for two generations when people thought about Israel that narrative, that film had an impact on how people see that so we, look, the power of film to do good is significant. But, you know, we also have to recognize that and that, you know, what stories are we going to tell? I say this to our team all the time, you know, with all the people I've spoken to, you know, everyone wants to talk about the stories that they got to tell. And, right. you know, when when our leadership team is is gone, the the question for us will be, what stories did we tell and what impact did we have?
1: So let's, let's bring it, because our last two questions are kind of touch on that personal. So first off, um, Greta totally had us stereotyped. We are like every other man. We love the Godfather. And that's just a pure, simple fact of life. Um, you own the former home of Robert Evans, the famed studio head of Paramount, uh, where people can go watch The Offer, which really tells the story of, uh, you know, Miles Teller back, but um, yeah, which I of Robert yeah, Evans. Great, great show. Great, great not exactly show with Matthew, Good
2: story. Like, like, like every, it's a great story, but <laughs> yeah, it's I know story. most of the people that were <laughs> it's involved entertaining. and everybody has a, everybody has a different version, but it was, yeah. it, but it was very good television.
1: So I, I, that begs the question, since I've watched this Robert Evans caricature through Matthew Good, what's your best Robert Evans story or your favorite? Maybe not the best for no, audience I, purposes. No, I,
2: I think one of the things about Evans is he made films driven out of great characters and more importantly, great books. Mm-hmm. Real stories. He understood Story. You know, Love Story was and and The Godfather were both number one bestsellers. He did a early on, the way he got started was he bought a book called The Detective. And it ended up selling that movie and as a result of selling that that was his how he transitioned from being in the movies to being an owner of content he bought the, the movie rights to the detective that movie ultimately got made uh, with Frank Sinatra uh, a, as the lead you know the interesting you know anecdote is that um, the, the detective uh, was being made with Frank Sinatra And that was a book that he owned, and in the the person that was supposed to star in that movie was Frank Sinatra's new wife, who's now married, who was married for a period of time to Woody Allen, Mia Farrow. So Mia Mia Farrow Farrow was supposed to be Mia Farrow was supposed to be in that movie, but Mia Farrow was starring in in a movie for Robert Evans that was set at, at the Dakota called Rosemary's Baby. And there was there was a uh, there was a a conflict in who was going to get Mia Farrow and Sinatra was newly married, but she had already committed to doing uh, Rosemary's Baby. And Sinatra called and said, you know, you better finish by this date because I need Mia Farrow for the detective. And that's what she's going to do. And Evans said, I, I can't do it. You know, Roman Polanski is producing, is directing Rosemary's Baby, and we're no no—we're going to need another two months. And there was a big blowout between Mia Farrow uh, and Sinatra and Sinatra drew the line. You know, if you don't come back and do that film, you know, the marriage is over. And she went to Evans and said, look, I don't think I can... I can finish this movie, Frank doesn't want me to do it. And Evans took her to the screening room in 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 the pool house at at Woodland mm-hmm. and put her, her takes on the big screen. And when, at the end of watching for about 20 minutes, he turned to her and he said, this is gonna be, Os- this is Oscar performance. You have to stay with this. It's the performance of a lifetime. Look at you up at that big screen. She said no to the detective. And she was served on the set of Rosemary's Baby with divorce papers. So he understood story and he had a tremendous amount of success for Paramount. And he was quite a character. He was quite. A, he, he, was. he did. He, he, he got to tell the stories he wanted to tell, uh, which you have yeah. to admire.
0: David let's just switch a little gear how do you look at your personal legacy at Warner Brothers Discovery and and further role in Hollywood what what's the weight you feel for that legacy that that will be left behind well,
2: legacy. We'll see. <laughs> we're just getting started. This is a very different <laughs> company than the Warner Brothers ran. You know, this is a we're a global sports company. We're this is we we're, we're in sports uh, with. All around the world uh, with Eurosport and, uh, and TNT, with the NBA and March Madness and, and Major League Baseball. And, uh, and we're also a, a leader in news with CNN. We're in the TV business, we're in the motion picture business with the, probably the, the most global media company in the world. So I think my legacy is really going to be driven by transitioning this company for the future. We have great legacy assets. Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Television, HBO, uh, you know, the, the, this, this, all the leagues that we represent on the sports side, CNN, and our gaming business. where we're, we're maybe the only media company that owns its own gaming business. So we're really a global media company that owns a huge amount of great content. We call it IP, but Harry Potter, DC, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, and the question the two questions are: What stories will we tell, and can we transition this very big global company so that you know, as as great as its legacy of all those assets are, that more people are watching us tomorrow, and we're healthier tomorrow, and we're more relevant tomorrow than we are today.
1: Awesome. Th- we appreciate you your great. time, David. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.
2: All right. Take care.
1: We're really thankful that David could join us for this bonus content off of our discussion from Chris Yogersburg book, The Warner Brothers. Um, again, this is episode 222.2. If you enjoyed this podcast, go to Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to a book with legs. Give us a review. Tell others about the books, uh, the great authors we have, and also the guests like David Sazlav that just joined us. For our tribe, if you have a great book you'd like to recommend, email podcast at smeedcap.com. That's podcast at smeedcap.com. You can also send your suggestions to us on Twitter. Our handle is at smeedcap. Thank you for joining us for A Book With Legs. We look forward to the next episode.
0: Thank you for listening to A Book With Legs, a podcast brought to you by Smeed Capital Management. The material provided in this podcast is for informational use only and should not be construed as investment advice. You can learn more about Smeet Capital Management and its products at SmeetCap.com or by calling your financial advisor.